Welcome to the Mind Medicine Australia podcast, where we explore breakthrough innovations for mental illness. For new listeners, I'm Tommy Moore, host of this podcast, Mind Medicine Australia, which is a charity that is committed to helping alleviate the suffering caused by mental illness through expanding the treatment options available to medical practitioners and their patients. In furtherance of this mission, the Mind Medicine Australia podcast brings scientific researchers, practitioners, and those who have been personally affected by the healing powers of psychedelic-assisted therapies together to provide expert opinion, share research results, and ultimately to help educate the public on the immense potential of medicine-assisted therapies. We are supporting the development of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy programs within Australia by providing educational material like this, events, therapist training, ethical and legal guidelines, and we are now developing an Asia-Pacific Centre for Emerging Mental Health Therapies, and of course, supporting clinical research. Now, if you wish to support our endeavours, you can join local chapter groups, you can share this podcast to your friends, share it on social media, you can leave a five-star review and provide comments or questions for the podcast, that really helps get this information out there and you can donate directly at mindmedicineaustralia.org. Check out the show notes for all the links and thank you for your support and interest in this emerging space. In this episode, I sit down with Andrew Robb. Until his recent retirement in politics, Andrew Robb was Australia's Minister for Trade, Investment and Tourism. Currently, he is the chairman of the Robb Group, which is a corporate and investment advisory company and is a board member for multiple organisations, including Mind Medicine Australia. He's the author of Black Dog Days, Public Life, Private Demons, which is his memoir that explores the challenges of managing depression, political ambition, and the life of the Liberal Party. Now, he has an extensive biography, so I'm going to leave that to you to investigate further. But in this discussion that I had with Andrew, we talk about his experience with SSRIs or antidepressants, um, how they worked for him for a number of years and then suddenly stopped working. And so his depression came back in a, in a really powerful and, and debilitating way. And he said, it means you go to sleep taking on the world, but wake up deeply depressed. So we explored some of his medical difficulties and, and experience on antidepressants and we also discuss what actually needs to happen for these kind of treatments to be able to be approved. So we talk about the TGA and also the political side of things and, and why there's so much stigma and still biased information amongst that space and what needs to happen on that political level for this treatment or this type of treatment to be approved. So this is a nice short and sweet episode and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, please welcome Andrew Robb. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Great pleasure. Thanks, Tommy. No, it's, it's really good to be able to get a little bit of a different angle for this type of mental health treatment. I've spoken to a lot of psychiatrists and, and neuroscientists in this space, so really looking forward to get a slightly different perspective on this. So, I mean, until your, your recent retirement from politics, you've been an Australian Minister for Trade, Investment and Tourism. Um, and now you're a board member for a number of organizations, including Mind Medicine Australia. So perhaps let's start with your background, your political ambition, um, as well as your, your battles with depression and what life was like in, in the Liberal Party. Okay. Well, I originally was 
uh, involved in agriculture. I was a national, ran the National Farmers Federation in Australia um, after doing economics training and agricultural science training. Um, then I, I moved to the Liberal Party in the 1990s and for the decade I ran the campaigns. I was the federal director of the Liberal Party. In fact, I ran the campaign where John Howard originally came in as Prime Minister in 1996. Um, then I went off into business for a few years just to get some more business experience and then I went into the parliament in 2004. Um, was involved in a range of portfolios, but as you mentioned, the uh, the last few years I was uh, in the federal cabinet, in the senior cabinet minister, um, as minister for trade and investment and tourism, and um, travelled the world a lot in that capacity, doing a lot of the free trade agreements in Australia with um, South Korea and Japan and China and a bunch of other countries. That was a great experience. Um, but through much of my life, certainly since I was in my teens, um, I had a problem in the mornings. So I'd go to sleep, take me on the world, and then I'd wake up deeply depressed. Um, it would only last originally for a couple of hours, and I just put it down to not being a morning person. I thought that's what it must mean. Um, but as I got older, it got the, the little black dog turned into a bigger black dog, and um, I found that it was lasting, that depression was lasting longer and longer until it was really starting to affect my capacity to, to, to do the work that I needed to do and the responsibilities that I had. So ultimately I went and uh, it's about 10 years ago now, a bit over, I went to see a psychiatrist and um, he diagnosed that I had a thing called diurnal variation where half the day you're normal and the other half the day you're deeply depressed. And uh, so I started taking medication and um, that worked for me for about nine years, especially during the years that I had a lot of the travel and a lot of those responsibilities. Um, but then overnight it just stopped working. And the psychiatrist said, well, this is, this is the sort of thing that happens, could be three years or six years or nine years or whatever, that we don't know, we don't know why. Um, you've just got to try something else. So end up back on the treadmill because um, it's a very inexact science. I know very little about what's going on in your head, unfortunately. And, um, you know, the medications I've been on, most of them are up to 50 years old. There's been no real progress. In, uh, from what I can see in the treatment of, uh, of mental health issues. Uh, there's a lot more people confronting it, but um, the treatments, I don't think, have become more effective. I think only about 30% of people end up in any sort of remission. Uh, and for post-traumatic stress disorders, only 5%. So um, it's a pretty sorry, sorry story, and it's really why I've become you know, very much a part of trying to help this move to get psychedelics approved. Uh, the 160 plus trials around the world have shown unbelievable results. And uh, for the life of me, I can't understand why the psychedelics are not being approved for medicinal use. By all means, retain the prohibition for recreational use, but for medicinal use, um, I just, I think it beggars belief that we are still uh, trying to get approval to get 
uh, those recognised so that we can give tens of thousands of people an alternative to the current uh, pill popping. Certainly. Yeah. And so the medication that you were taking, was that antidepressant? Was it SSRIs? What, what was that exactly? Uh, it was an antidepressant. Um, and I've taken a, a bunch of them since. Um, the, the, the one I used for nine years worked pretty well and I didn't have, I had some side effects, but nothing I couldn't manage. Uh, subsequently, the ones that I've tried, um, invariably some of them seem to um, have some reasonable effect on the depression, but then you get side effects, which are just impossible to live with. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been in a process of trial and error now for about uh, two or three years. And um, it, it really does get to you after a while. When you say the medication had stopped working, what was it initially that was working about the medication that then suddenly stopped? Uh, well, I had a normal life. You know, I was, I had side effects, but in large part, um, uh, I had my life back and uh, I didn't have the problem in the mornings, which was extending into the afternoon before getting that treatment. So um, it did work for me for a period of time. And uh, as long as you're prepared to put up with side effects. And uh, um, that aside, um, uh, you know, the problem was it just stopped overnight. And um, my search for something, some alternative has been um, a very frustrating one. And so the last number of years you've been looking for something else to, to help you with your management of de depression? I have, and, and the side effects have been uh, intolerable. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, and it's not just that. It means you're taking pills for the rest of your life, which many people are doing without much success in many cases. As I say, we're getting 30% or less remission from what I can see from the literature. Um, amongst people who are taking, they might get some relief, um, but most of it, there's certainly not remission happening. And, um, and there doesn't seem to be, um, you know, a great deal of effort by the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies to find alternatives. Uh, I think they're quite happy selling tens of millions of pills. And the, the, there is, from what I can see, really no progress of any consequence over the last 40 years in terms of um, chemical treatments to assist with mental health. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was first thought that antidepressants were this was big thing in psychiatry, but, but we're finding that, yeah, like you were saying, there's only about a third of people are responding well to these types of treatments. And I guess it just speaks to the way Western medicine is often running. We're looking for this pill that just magically fixes all of your problems. But I think what psychedelics, that their approach is vastly different where it's only two to three medicinal doses. You're not expected to take them home. You're accompanied by a psychotherapist. And so this treatment really digs into the core of, of the mental illness so that people can see it in, in such a different way. Well, all of that's, I think, very true and very attractive. Um, but what is even more attractive is that the trials that have been occurring overseas, and these are not, these are highly, highly reputable, you know, places like Harvard in the United States and similar organisations in the UK and Israel. 
they're getting results where between 60 and 80 percent are not just getting relief, but they're going into remission. And there are no side effects. As you say, you have two or three treatments. And with those, with those treatments they're finding in these trials around the world, 60 to 80% remission. And for post-traumatic stress disorder, which is such a blight and such a curse for a lot of people, especially those who've been on the front line, whether in wars or ambulances or whatever, the, the people who are confronted with trauma every day for a period of time and they're left with it for the rest of their life unless they get some effective treatment. Only 5% of those are responding to the existing medications, yet they're getting, again, between 60 and 80% remission, not just relief, but remission. So people who get their lives back 100% uh, compared with the, you know, the trauma that they go through daily with, with that illness. So, you know, if there is an alternative, and it is showing those sorts of results. It involves thousands of people in these trials. It's not as though the efficacy and the safety has been proven again and again and again over the last 15 years of these trials. Um, and, and so, you know, I think it, it should be presented as an alternative for people um, given the success of these trials. And I'll continue to push really hard as best I can to change the minds of the the regulators and the politicians about the medicinal use of these drugs, not the recreational. We're seeing with cannabis that you can maintain um, prohibition for recreational use, but at the same time get the medical benefits from cannabis that are now enjoyed by tens of thousands of Australians with pain relief from, from the cannabis. So it's a, it's a similar parallel. You know, it's looking at the medicinal use of psychedelics um, whilst um, maintaining the prohibition on the uh, recreational use of those those compounds. Certainly, and I think a lot of the fear in politics and, and government regulators is that this recreational side of things is just going to go out of hand or, or something will go down the line that way. But having psychedelics in a recreational setting versus psychedelic assisted psychotherapy over two or three months is a vastly different experience. And, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion is. Is is that what you're finding? Well, I don't think people even think about it um, because it's um, been a no-go area for um, decades since the, the 60s when for recreational purposes, these psychedelics weren't healthy for the community, I don't think. So I've got no problem with the prohibition of these substances for recreational purposes. Um, that's a legitimate decision that, that governments have taken. But at the time when that decision was taken, no, there, there was, there was a, in the early stages of seeing, you know, major benefits for mental health, those benefits were not considered. You know, it was it was the recreational use in the United States which, which drove that prohibition, which the rest of the Western world just picked up and thought, well, if the United States president is, is banning it, then that's good enough for us. Um, but at no stage um, has there been any thought given by the regulators subsequently uh, to psychedelics. In fact, I, you know, there's, there's friends I know who are psychiatrists who trained in the 80s and 90s, and the, the issue was never raised. So they've gone through um, several years of training for, for psychiatry 
with the history of, you know, 20 years of a success back in the 50s and 60s, uh, without being even introduced to the subject, it's sort of beggar's belief in a way that, um, you know, that the whole profession can ignore those benefits for so long. Um, and even now, you find it very difficult to get even, you know, the College of Psychiatry is opposed to the psychedelics. Um, you would think if there's something that's working around the world when there's such an endemic problem in Australia with mental health and many other countries in the world, you'd think they'd be reaching out for possible alternatives. You'd think the profession, at least, would be, you know, putting enormous pressure on the regulators to, in a very controlled way, um, you know, see that whether it's, it's got a place in the whole treatment of mental health. And it's quite the opposite. You've got the College of Psychiatry um, opposing, strongly opposing, the, without any good reason, the papers that they've done on this, and I've read them, it, it, they're just littered with, with uh, mistakes, with misrepresentation, with uh, ignorance of what's going on overseas and has done for 10 or 15 years with these trials. And, you know, I, I, there's, there's something more at the heart of all this opposition. I know with the state governments, they're the ones who've got the control over um, whether drugs are approved or not. Um, the TGA, the National Regulatory Body, has given approval for individual psychiatrists with individual patients to um, have this treatment. So it's, it's got through in the federal arena, but then when those same psychiatrists have gone to... Um, have gone to the states to get approval, uh, the states have blocked it. And, and from my observation, with no, with, with no great consideration of what's going on in the research, it's just a, a blanket political opposition because uh, they're fearful, the, the politicians and the regulators in the states, that if they do make some movement, it'll be misrepresented publicly, you know, as, as support for drugs for drug taking. And, um, you know, that's the long and the short of it from what I can see. It's just ignorance and political fear that is driving the, the existing opposition to rescheduling these drugs so that they can be used for medicinal purposes while still maintaining the prohibition for recreational use. Yeah, certainly. And I guess Mind Medicine Australia is working with the TGA to reschedule these from Schedule 9 um, to Schedule 8, so Schedule 8 being controlled substances. And so this would allow for psychiatrists to be able to access them more freely within a psychiatric setting, not a recreational setting. And so you mentioned that you can get the, a special access scheme on a patient-by-patient -patient basis with a psychiatrist, but that so that first goes through the, the TJ, is that right? But then there needs to be approval on a state level. So there seems to be lots of levels of, of confusion or, or blockage. Well, that's, as I say, it's, it's, you know, TGA put their toe in the water and that's fine. I mean, let's introduce it on a one-to-one one -one basis so that it can be proven and people can become comfortable with it. Seems to me a very sensible way and it's the way they introduced uh, the use of cannabis for uh, pain relief, exactly that same process. So uh, it's been proven. It's been proven with cannabis as a way to go, but when... As, as you say, when it had to go to another level, that is uh, the states, because the states had, um, had control over the regulation of the drugs. 
um, there's just been a blanket opposition in every one of them without any um, without any reason given, uh, just no. And as I say, it's a, it's a total abrogation, I think, of their uh, responsibilities, you know, to, to look after their community, especially with such a rampant problem such as mental health. And are these politics that are opposing this, where who's not allowing this? Like, obviously, that's a state level, but who's who's stopping that? Well, the, the politicians, the governments in each jurisdiction, and it's not just one side of politics. It, it, it's true of all sides of politics because there are different um, political parties running different states. Um, it's just, a, to me, a blanket fear um, that there will be a community reaction uh, that it will be seen as, you know, uh, authorising drug use in an unlimited uh, un- unlimited way. But, of course, that's not what's in prospect at all. Um, additional use of it in a highly controlled situation, the, the patients will never even get to take anything home. It gets administered within a, within a regulated environment with a therapist uh, in present who administers... Um, a small amount of the psychedelic drug in, and to stimulate the brain for a period of time so that then the person looks at issues differently than they would have beforehand. It's, a, it's got science behind it. It doesn't involve any more distribution of, of the drugs in, in the community. The, the, the only distribution you've got now is illegal. It doesn't, it doesn't impact on that in any way whatsoever. Uh, it is a regulated use for medicinal purposes only. And um, the trouble is that at a political level in the states, there's just this blanket opposition, blanket fear, um, without, I think, much of it based in ignorance because people really don't know, are really not aware of, of um, you know, what the trials overseas are doing and all the rest. Uh, and that's, the, the, you know, the great credit to mind medicine um, you know, they really have taken on this with with great enthusiasm and dedication and commitment. And um, I think starting to starting to educate a lot of the people in the political sphere and amongst the regulators and amongst the profession, for that matter, the psychiatry profession, uh, they all need to be educated about the efficacy and the safety of, of using psychedelics for mental health treatment. Yeah, certainly. And education is that big highlighted word that that people really need to be aware of. It's this uneducation around psychedelic medicine or, or not even viewing it as a, as a medicine that's still inside people's head of these times in the 60s and 70s where, you know, there's a anti-institution protests. And so that's what people have inside their heads. And of course, it's creating fear. Um, but it's it's bizarre that so much is being put into mental health treatment or at least publicized into mental health treatment. But then at the same time, we're not allowing for these breakthrough treatments to, to be accessed. Well, it's, you know, in many ways, I, I really do resent the fact that, um, you know, I've had a problem for 50 years plus and, um, and yet there have been potential, you know, solutions out there which have been ignored and continue to be ignored in a political sense and in many cases within the profession. Um, you know, if 
in, in any line of professional activity, um, most of those professionals are looking to improve whatever it is that they're involved in. Um, whether you know you're an engineer, whether you're a doctor, whether they're they're all trying to find new and better ways of doing their job. And here, here we've got something in the psychiatry field, which is a new and better way. And everyone's turning, not everyone, but most of the, the profession, including the College of Psychiatry, which is, purports to represent the profession, uh, have turned a blind eye. In fact, are, are actively opposing uh, what is going on. So, um, you know, it, there'd, be, there'd be many people like me out there in the community who've had long-standing problems uh, and have been either putting up with it um, or taking medications, which have all sorts of side effects and other consequences or just don't work for them. Um, and yet here is another possible treatment which uh, holds a lot of promise and we're not even, we're not even you know, actively trying to do something about it. And so have you been able to access these medicines considering the, the access B scheme? Uh, no, no one has. No, no one has. There's, I think there have been, um, don't hold me to it, but I think there's been at least 40 um, people that have been authorised by the TGA to have treatment with psychiatrists who've made an application for it. So they're, they're sitting there waiting. Here's people who've, who've got, you know, chronic mental health problems um, and psychiatrists who are happy to uh, and keen to see if the psychedelic treatment can assist them. And uh, But until the states approve the use of the drugs, um, th that exercise can't go forward. Um, and, and as I say, beggars belief, you know, the, the, the reticence and the opposition that there is to this uh, when it's being presented in, in a very sensible and regulated and, and cautious way, that's what's being suggested, so that people do get confidence in the community about the use of psychedelics for these mental health problems. It's, it's bizarre to think that the prevalence of mental illness in Australia is, is only getting worse. And with all these lockdowns happening all throughout Australia now, even those who are generally healthy are feeling really the effects of, of these lockdowns and prolonged isolation. And to have such lack in effective treatment is unfortunate and unfair. And considering that there are treatments that are available, it's, it's, it's sad to see that so many people are continue continue to suffer despite there being viable treatment options. Now, I know you have a, a very busy schedule, Andrew, but before we close this one out, is there anything more you'd like to add? Well, you, you mentioned the pandemic, which is a, you know, a really difficult thing for so many people. And um, uh, what I'm told is that now the emergency sections of many hospitals are being inundated with people with mental health problems. So um, because of the pandemic, uh, you know, I think there's going to, uh, as we come out of this pandemic, hopefully with vaccines and all the rest, I think, you know, one of the legacies that will be left from the pandemic is, is a massive increase in people who've developed mental health problems. And, you know, for no other reason, it, it, we should be looking for alternatives and we should be exploring the great success that we're seeing overseas with these drugs for mental health uses. 
So, you know, I'm forever hopeful, but um, I just commend again Nine Medicine for the uh, the commitment and the effort that's gone in in the last couple of years to really elevate people's awareness of this problem and the potential of psychedelics. There is a movement afoot. It will happen. We'll get the politics right. We will inform enough people, um, but hopefully it's not too far away. Yeah, uh, that, exactly. There is a certain inevitability about it. These You can't ignore the, the effectiveness of these medicine-assisted therapies. So we just need enough people backing us in and, and more people in the politics and, and more psychiatrists and more people, more therapists becoming aware of this and bring that momentum forward and, and hopefully pave a new paradigm for the treatment of mental health, Ill health in Australia and, and the rest of the world. So, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for your interest and enthusiasm in mental health and psychedelic therapy. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope that you did because you've made it to the end, share it with a friend, share it on social media, leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform that you are on. Well, the best thing you can do is all of those, but leaving a review is the best way to expose this information to the podcasting world. Last but not least, the information that was provided in this episode is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for the advice provided by a doctor or other healthcare professional. Patients should not use the information contained for diagnosing a health problem or disease and should consult with a doctor or other healthcare professional for medical advice or information about diagnosis and treatment. All right, we did it. And I have some very exciting news because next week or the next episode that will be published is an episode with Dennis McKenna. Now, my goodness, am I excited to share this episode with you. Now, I'm as if you if you have been following this this podcast, you know that I am quite spiritual and philosophical. So being able to sit down with Dennis, uh, we, we spoke for, for about an hour and a half was incredible and i hope you keep your ears and eyes peeled out for that one but until then keep well invest in yourself i know it's a very difficult time for many people with lockdowns and isolation and those kind of things so make sure you give yourself the time and space to reflect and to eat healthy food to move your body do all of those day-to-day lifestyle things that we know are so incredible for our health and our mental health so Until the next episode, keep well.